where I play. As long as I go number one in the draft. From the Erie Otters, Connor McDavid. From the London Knights, Mitch Marner. From the Washington Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, Nolan Patrick. This is Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. He checks an enormous amount of boxes. Nobody in this draft did more with less. I absolutely love him. It's not his skills that anybody's concerned about. It's that playing attitude. And quite frankly, it's really poor. Speeding towards the future of the NHL. From the U.S. Development Program, Jacob Truba. From Faryastad of the Swedish Elite League, Jonas Brodin. From the Boston U Terriers, Brady Kachuk. He could play in the NHL next year. He's one of those guys. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to episode 23, season 2 of Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. The director of scouting, former GM and Stanley Cup champion, will be along very shortly. My name is Dean Millard and this is where the stars of tomorrow are discovered and discussed. And um, we have uh, three names that we'll be chatting about on the program today. One of them is a fast riser, as they say, Matthew Coronado of the Chicago Steel. Pipeline Prospects owns this NFT in the UFHL, just $35. That is an absolute steal. Unbelievable. And then a couple from my backyard, Sebastian Cosa, goaltender with the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, Prestige Worldwide has this NFT for $180. What an outstanding season. Probably should have been a little bit more consideration for that World Junior team. But that's that Edmonton bias coming through. And his teammate, Dylan Gunther, $150 purchase of an NFT from Doltac Scouting Service. And we'll get to all of that information uh, when Craig joins us uh, a little bit later on. In the program, and he joins us courtesy of the UFF Sports Hotline, Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. It is the most realistic fantasy platform that there is, and it's only getting bigger. Right now, we have hockey as gameplay. The sports landscape is exploding with NFTs, and Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports is in the lead. If you want gameplay, if you want NFTs, if you want the absolute absolute most realistic format, we follow just about everything that the leagues do. Check it out at www.uffsports.com and get in the game where you literally own the game. All right, let's bring him in now, Mr. Craig Button. Here he is, the director of scouting for TSN, former GM of the Calgary Flames, and a Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars. Plus, he's a sharp-dressed man with a heart of gold and a passion to match it. Craig Button.
All right, Craig, you did a terrific job at the U18s. It was exciting hockey. That final showcased all those four guys that we talked about last week had big nights. So <laughs> we were right on the money with your crystal ball. And, you know, speaking of that, uh, you've, you've kind of released the top 32 on tsn.ca. Uh, and, uh, you know, is, was this year any uh, a lot tougher, any tougher, or just the same as any other year? Did, did uh, you know, the, the lack of viewings play into a factor for you at all? It, it, it wasn't like any other year, Dean. And, you know, over a long, long uh, period of time, I've never had to experience anything like this. And nor have the uh, NHL teams and their, their scouts and their personnel evaluating players. It, it's very different. So, I mean, this is the first list I've, I've, I've released. And I've only done 32 players because, you know, over time, there's still some players playing and uh, still some players are going to have an opportunity to, to play some more. And I mean, I'm comfortable with my evaluations. I'm comfortable with my groupings and everything. But I, at, at the end, sometime in mid-June, there will be a top 75. And, you know, I'll feel really comfortable. I feel really comfortable now having spent since the new year, even a little bit before with the World Junior and whatnot and some leagues playing that – you know, I, I, I feel a, a satisfaction and a confidence in assessing the players. And, you know, I, I realize, too, that I'm really lucky having watched a lot of these players, you know, from the time they were 15 and 16. And, and, and in a couple of cases from the time they were 14, very rare cases. But uh, and that's Shane Wright, who I've watched since he was 14 years of age. So, you know, that's not very hard to assess Shane Wright. But, you know, being able to understand in my view you know where the players were coming from I, like i know that they haven't played in a lot of them uh, in any type of consistent rhythm if at all over the last 13 months but and i give you an example benjamin goudreau i watched benjamin play in midget i watched benjamin play at the u17 i watched him play for sony in the ohl so i go back and i, I look at all my evaluations what i call data points and I can say, okay, here's how I assessed him. Here's the areas that I thought he needed to work on developmentally. And so, like, I felt that I had a really good base to kind of build off of, even in the absence of not watching him for 13 months. And when he went to the uh, under-18 championship, like, I, I could see real progression in certain areas that, that I thought were necessary for him to take his game to higher levels. I mean, he, he, he was outstanding for Team Canada. He was named the best goaltender in the tournament, deservedly so. But keep in mind, Dean, he hadn't played a, a, a game, significant, meaningful game, since March of 2020. And for him to step into a best-on-best -best competition and show what he showed, and he wasn't the only player, but, but I really do realize that, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a process that you had to be patient with. And I didn't want to put out a list uh, in January. I didn't want to put out a list in, in November because I, I didn't have enough data. I didn't have enough understanding of where the improvement was or where it wasn't in a lot of individual players. But, you know, having that opportunity really for a good solid four or five months uh, and then leading into the U18, I, I really felt uh, comfortable and confident. And I, and I know talking to the NHL scouting personnel and management personnel that they felt the same way. I think going into the NHL draft now and even some evaluations that will continue on is that the confidence level ha has really increased having seen the players and having a background 
uh, from a year or two years back on, on them, you know, in, in terms of developing uh, greater uh, data, not developing greater data, but using more data and developing uh, a greater confidence in your evaluation. And the full list can be found at tsn.ca and then, of course, more to come. So the first player we're talking about is Matthew Coronado, uh, forward with the Chicago Steel and the USHL. And this NFT uh, was won in an auction by Pipeline Prospects. And just to give you an idea of how much of a steal this is, just <laughs> listing any player, just listing any player is $20. So he, uh, Pipeline Prospects, Arnie, picked up this player for just $15 above what every other player goes for. And look at the numbers, 48 goals, 37 assists. He more than doubled his goal production. He more than doubled his point production with the Chicago Steel in just 51 games this year. This is a player, Craig, in the in the Ultimate Fantasy Hockey League lately that has been getting an incredible amount of buzz. Is that the same in the kind of the scouting world as well? Well, it's, he should be getting uh, a lot of notoriety because he's deserving of that notoriety. I really, really uh, love the way Matthew plays the game. And, you know, you hear me use the word translate. And how does a player's game at at levels below the NHL translate to the NHL? Because ultimately, that's what projection is. That's what trying to assess potential is all about. And he attacks. He attacks inside the dots. He attacks at defensemen. He he puts defensemen on their heels. And he's able to... Uh, use his skills to to get scoring opportunities. He doesn't allow himself to be denied. He makes it a challenge to defend against him because not only is he skilled, he's always thinking and he's competitive. He's not interested in being where it doesn't matter. And when I look at all those qualities, that to me is what translates to success at the NHL level. And as he physically matures, you you talked about from uh, the previous year to this season and the development he's had, well, I watch that. I watch the skill, and then I watch. Uh, you know, then I consider how much more he can improve just with physical maturity, and and I see a, a real terrific player. What what really helped me with Matthew is also the U18 tournament. So he he he's not he wasn't able to play in the U18 tournament because he, he he's a he's a he's born in 2002, and this was for 2003 born or uh, or, or or later players. So he wasn't eligible. But when you go to the tournament and you see players like Samu Tuomala and you see Fabian Lysel and even Logan Stankoven, who I really like and I think are good players, and watching them and being able to assess where they're at and having watched Matthew and see where he's at, that's where I can feel really comfortable and confident in saying Matthew uh, is a real t- good player, and in my view, better than the three guys I just named in terms of potential. Now, is is, is he far above them? No, I, I wouldn't say that. But that's the confidence I'm talking about. And you watch Matthew, you don't have the benefit of watching those other players. Now you get that benefit, and now you can have a lot more assuredness about where you group players. And as you well know, Dean, I don't get fussed by the number beside them. 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 could be 11. 11 could mm-hmm. be, I'm not going to fuss by that. You know, everybody wants to put the number beside it. For me, I'm trying to get the players in the right groupings and then say, if you want this type of player, you got him. If you want this type of player, you got him. But it's, it's about projecting groups of players and their potential to the NHL. I think Coronado's got it. 
And he's heading to Harvard, and uh, you've uh, spoken glowingly about the development there. So that's uh, you know something for an NHL t- team to consider. Forty-eight goals in fifty-one games, Craig. I mean, this is incredible. Is is there a typical Matthew Coronado goal, or does that what makes him so dangerous? No, I like well. Number one, okay. So in, in the National Hockey League, the, 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 these are the facts. 75% of goals in the National Hockey League are scored from the slot area, okay? So if I break it down even further, half the goals in the National Hockey League are scored from the inner slot. So where do teams defend? The inner slot and the slot, right? Mm-hmm. And where do you have to score from? The inner slot and the slot. So if you don't get there and you don't attack there and you're not able to operate in there, you're not going to have success. You know, you're not overpowering goaltenders at the National League level with a shot from distance. You're not scoring from outside the circles and outside the dots. you got to get into the heart of the matter, the guts of the action. That's exactly what Matthew does. And so is he just a get the puck down the wing and score? No, he, he's a player that can take advantage there. He's a player that knows how to open up at the right times as well. You know, he's going to uncheck himself at exactly the right times, and he's got a patience with it. You know, he's not, he's not in a rush to get somewhere that might not be beneficial where he's going to have to make another move. He gets to the right places at the right times, and he's patient in doing it. Once he gets there, oh, is he determined and is he competitive. That's where I wanted to go next. Uh, you know, the, the line we use around here with you is that you don't scout with a tape measure. There could have been a lot of guys looking at this guy saying, he's not going to be able to compete. He's too small. He might score goals at this level, but he's not going to be able to compete at the next level. Uh, you have no concerns about his, uh, you know, playing in a, you know, quote unquote, big man's game and competing with everybody as he goes level by level. No, not at all, Dean. And listen, uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, different uh, uh, years and different draft years and everything. I, I, I've seen a lot, a lot of big players that mm-hmm. everybody gave the benefit of the doubt to. Oh, they're big. They'll be, no, they couldn't do it. They didn't have the determination. They didn't have the desire. They didn't have the competitive spirit to do it. Why is Brendan Gallagher so good in the National Hockey League? And other players that were picked far ahead of them that were bigger never even came close to making it. You need the skill, okay? That's a basic quality to get to the National Hockey League. There's no, you can't get there without skill, okay? But, you know, my brother, who's a director of scouting for the uh, Calgary Flames, we talked about Shane Wright, and, I, and, we, and, and I, I, I'd never heard this, and I, I thought it was a really great description of it. I, I, I've used it, I've, I've tried to describe this in different ways, but to me, this is what he taught Great players. There has never been a great player in any sport that didn't have high-end skill, high-end sense, and high-end competitiveness. And how we so we're talking about Shane Wright, and he said he's got the brain, he's got the skills, and he said he's got the insides. That's what greatness is about. And if you don't have the insides, you're never going to be great, ever. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog, as uh, many people have said, right? Well, well, let me add one thing to that, too. Like, so I just talk about playing inside the dots and playing inside the guts of the action. Mm -hmm. You do it because you have the insides. You need the insides to play on the inside. Yeah, and if not, you float on the perimeter and you don't last. You got it. (laughs) 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's go on to a guy who's trying to stop all those guys from inside the dots. And, uh, uh, you know, three goalies on, on your list. I really love that as a goalie man, and I love this guy. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm of the uh, the Guy Flaming ilk that I think Sebastian Kosa should have had a more consideration for the World Junior Team, but we can argue a lot about that, and I have a little bit of Edmonton bias. And then, you know, when, when you look at these numbers, I know they were in a, a bubble, but this guy was incredible this year. Uh, just minuscule goals against, terrific save percentage, four shutouts, only lost once in regulation. And, uh, you know, a guy who came up for the Fort Saskatchewan uh, hockey system. Um, so I, I, I wonder, you know, what you have thought about Sebastian Kosa uh, maybe now that maybe you didn't know about or, or has maybe impressed you uh, a little bit more about his play. Well, one thing I will say about Hockey Canada and the World Junior, Sebastian was given lots of consideration for the World Junior team. And, you know, and, and, and just because you don't make it doesn't mean you weren't given consideration. Hockey Canada is on top of these players at every turn. They know they have a long, good background on players being part of it. And just because you haven't been part of the program of excellence uh, doesn't mean they're not continuously watching you. They are. They're thorough in what they do. The U18 team that just won the gold medal, those players, with the exception of Connor Bedard, who hasn't had the opportunity to be part of the program of excellence, have been part of the program of excellence since they were 14, 15, and in the case of players that played in the Canada Games. And then U18 or U17. So they know these players, and so they, they, they have to select the team based on the knowledge of, uh, of, of the players uh, and their history and, and what they felt they could contribute and how quickly they could grasp what that was going to be necessary to compete at this level. So, you know, don't let anybody ever tell you that Sebastian wasn't given lots of consideration for the World Junior Team. He was, as, as were other players. And, you know, Sebastian Kosa right now, based on his play, looks like a, a, a leading uh, candidate to start for Team Canada next year at the World Junior Tournament. But he's going to have good competition. Benjamin Goudreau is going to be good competition. Tristan Lennox is going to be good competition. Dylan Garand is going to be good competition. That's a good thing for Hockey Canada. Doesn't mean you're not given every consideration or you're not being considered. End of rant. Sebastian Kosa. You know, it's easy to look and say, so we're going to go to the other side of the tape measure. It seems that uh, in the NHL now doesn't seem, you know, th there's a, there's certainly a height requirement. It's almost like basketball has become where mm -hmm. if you wanted to play, you know, like a center position of basketball isn't the same as it was. But before, if you weren't 6'11 or 7 foot, you, 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 you couldn't play that position. Well, there seems to be a demand and a desire for goaltenders that are bigger and taller and traffic around the net and everything that goes with it. I get it. So, Sebastian, no question about it, he uh, meets that uh, threshold. But you watch him play, and I've watched him progress over the last couple of years and quite impressed with him. You know, it's not just that he's a big goalie that says, okay, I'm going to be big. He, he's a big goalie that goaltends really well. He reads the play well. He moves really nicely. And he, he doesn't just move laterally, left to right, right to left. He pivots nicely. He moves out with a real economy of effort and a real economy of movement. And I think for any goaltender, especially for a bigger one, what you want to do when you're moving is not open up. There's a good friend of mine, Tim Bernhardt, who scouted for years and knows goaltenders as good as anybody, 
always said, if you're a big goaltender and you don't move with the with the right uh, with, with economy of movement, you're just going to open up. And for a big goaltender, the holes become bigger. I don't see big holes with Sebastian Kosa. I see a player that keeps his positioning, uses his size, utilizes it to a great extent, and you know he also reads the play exceptionally well. He understands, okay, this is where I got to be. I don't need to overplay. This is how I'm going to react to the play. And then he can move with quickness and fluidity. And it, it, it's just continuously developed over the last two years. I mean, this year was different than last year, but watching him last year, it was like, Ooh, this guy's pretty darn good. And now I've seen real progression in his game. Much like Benjamin Goudreau, uh, you know, watching Sebastian Cosa has been very similar in terms of the things that you felt were developmental. I've clearly seen progress in those areas that allow him not to just be a really good pros prospect, but to be a really good potential number one goaltender in the NHL. Any goaltender I rate in the first round or even early in the second round, they're not getting there unless I feel really confidently that they can be number one goalies in the National Hockey League. Well, and that's why Prestige Worldwide uh, Scouting Service uh, won a bidding war, $180 uh, for, for this goaltender. To put it in context, uh, high-level scouting, of which you're the, the president of scouting, uh, paid over $400 for Jesper Wallstad. So, you know, depending on where these guys get auctioned off for, one could be a better deal. They're both going to be terrific goaltenders, as you said, uh, going in the first round. And, you know, I, I think you, you hit on something terrific, is he looks like a goaltender. There's some goaltenders that some Sometimes looks like Michelin man. I, you know, I remember the greatest <laughs> compliment my brother ever gave me one time. He said, now you finally look like a goaltender. Your equipment fits. And this is not a guy who's relying on big equipment. He's relying on equipment that fits and he's relying on his movements to make those saves. And, and you can tell by the type of saves some goalies make. When a goalie is a pucks flying off him like it's, uh, like he's a trampoline, he's just letting it hit him as opposed to goaltenders who are making an actual save and directing the puck in certain in certain ways that's my opinion on it anyway well i mean you have the experience of playing the position you have a you have a significant and, and real strong knowledge of the position i'm going to go back to tim bernhardt and you know one of the things and i've learned as much about goaltending from him and david Pryor as i've learned from anybody and jason LaBarbera, who's now with uh, the calgary flames you know learn from him and I'll, I'll learn from everybody and everybody can offer something but you know, Tim always used to say there's a difference between, you know, you know, trying to defend the net and trying to be a goaltender that's trying to close down the net. Mm. Goaltenders that defend the net or try to defend the cage, they're trying to use their size and try to be big, right? Goaltenders that try to close down the net, try to give the shooter as less room to see net than to try to hit a spot. And Kosa clearly fits into the second description. And quite frankly, for me, if you're not in that second group of trying to, you know, get out and close down the net and close down uh, uh, opportunities for the shooters, you're not going to have success at the NHL. Because when you start into the defend the cage mode, you open up lots of holes. and The players are too good at being able to hit those holes now. 
Indeed. All right, uh, let's stay in uh, the Oil King organization now and talk a little bit about Dylan Gunther uh, of the Oil Kings. Doltac Scouting Service has this NFT at $150, and uh, depending on where he goes, uh, you know, I know Bob McKenzie has him ranked number two, and you mentioned him with Owen Power as one of the two guys you think could go first overall. This could be a really, really great uh, deal. Uh, 12 goals, 12 assists this year, and a pretty good showing at the, uh, the U18s. Maybe let's start there. What what did you see from uh, Dylan Gunther at the U18s? So I've, I, I've seen a lot of Dylan. So just, you know, to be clear, you know, on my uh, top 32 that I that, that I released on TSN.ca, I, I have Dylan now at seven. And it, it's not that he he's not a good player. I think that he's got a chance to be a, a first-line winger in the National Hockey League. I, I, I do believe that. But, again, you watch Dylan, you, you get a chance to compare him uh, at high-level competition against his peer group and, and different things. And he's smart. He, he's got lots of really uh, excellent skills. I, I don't know if Dylan has dynamic skills. And I think that that's what may, in my view, just hold him back just a little bit from being like that, that, that elite, elite player. He, he's an excellent passer. He's, he, he's got a really, really good shot. But, you know, those elite upper echelon players, and, and there's not very many of them. I mean, there's 20 of them, 25 of them, okay, maybe 30 of them, right? They all have dynamic skill. And that's that's an area that that Dylan, can he, can, could he improve in something? He will improve. There's no question he's going to improve, and there's no question that he wants to improve. But just because you improve doesn't mean that you're going to possess those dynamic skills and those dynamic qualities that allow you to be that upper echelon player. I think he's he's a player that's going to be really good. He's going to offer a lot of different help because he can penalty kill. He can play on the power play. He can play five on five. But, you know, playing with good players and smart players will bring out the best in him. And I think he'll take advantage of them. But I don't think he's going to be a driver all on his own. And to be in that upper echelon, you got to you got to be able to drive to a significant extent on your own. So you know, I, I kind of look at it as there's first line players, and then there's first line complementary players. And we've seen lots of guys that have you know might not be considered first line players, but they can play with first line players and make themselves and and make those players better. Not necessarily being the the lead on that line. Would he maybe fit into that category? Is he might not be the lead on the first line, but able to be able to play with other great players and and uh, complement their game as as well as his well absolutely and so you know William Nylander is not as good as Mitch Marner could William Nylander be a complimentary first line player yeah absolutely mm-hmm. could could William Nylander be uh, a prime time upper echelon drive play on his own like Mitch Marner no and I never thought he could be right but William Nylander went eighth in the draft and he's been a real good really good NHL player that's what I think Dylan Gunther can be now is he, like, and, and the reality of the situation is, is that William Nylander's never going to be Mitch Marner. Just not going to happen. But it doesn't mean that you don't want William Nylander on your team, and it doesn't mean that William Nylander isn't really good. And that's how I feel about uh, Dylan Gunther. I, I feel exactly the same way, and I think you described it perfectly. And 
But, you know, you need to see it. And, you know, you watch him in the Western Hockey League. I saw him at the U-17. I saw him as a rookie in the Western Hockey League. But now you, you watch him vis-a-vis -vis some of the other players and playing against uh, other players and understanding, okay, where his game was at. I thought at the U-18, he was uh, – he was uh, – unselfish to a fault at the beginning instead of just like it's almost like okay I'm going to make sure I, I like I do everything and Dylan as he got more comfortable he started shooting the puck more he started attacking more and started doing the things that make him a really good player and make no mistake about it I think he's a really good player and a really good prospect but when I use the Mitch Marner to William Nylander comparison one guy went fourth one guy went eighth they're both really good but there's a there's a there's a difference in where they play and how they play and how they contribute and that's not a knock. Teams are made up of all different types of players and you need quality. And make no mistake about it, Dylan is quality. I'll get lots of how can you have Dylan now seventh? Okay, make him fifth. Sure. Make him fourth. I, I don't care. It's not going to change where I sit and look at my projection of him as that type of player that you just described. So if you want him fourth, that's okay. I'm not going to quibble. He, he could really, he, he could go second. Who knows? Maybe he could go first. I get it. Mm -hmm. But that's where I see it vis-a-vis -vis the other players. I mean, William Eklund, who I have at six, you know, is real dynamic. And really what I broke it down to, and I'm going to get a chance to see William play a little bit more. And what really drove it home for me is that dynamic upper echelon ability of Willie Meckland. And I, and, I, and, and I think that that, and, and that became a separator from six to seven. We're not talking mm -hmm. about huge, but that was why I had William just a nudge ahead of uh, Dylan. Well, and it's the year of the defenseman. Uh, you know, a lot of top defensemen leading the way, including Owen Power. Uh, and he is a guy who, along with Cole Perfetti, is going to join Canada at the World Championship team. So I, I really like this. I like this forward thinking, looking at different players. Um, you know, we, we talked about uh, underage players coming in at the U18s and, and not having to miss a beat. Um, what do you think about some of these younger players like Power and Perfetti going over to the Worlds, you know, and, and what kind of an adjustment they might face in that situation? Well, there's always going to be an adjustment. They've never played at that level. They're playing against older, more mature players, pros, NHL players. So, you know, th th there's absolutely uh, going to have to be an adjustment. Do I think they can make the adjustment? Of that, I have no doubt. But, you know, in Austin Matthews' draft year in 2016, he went first overall. He played in the World Championships. In Jack Hughes' uh, draft year in 2019, he he went first overall. Kako went second overall. They both played in the World Championships and showed very well in the World Championships. I don't think there's any doubt that Owen Power is going to go there and have an opportunity to show well. For Hockey Canada, you know, with Perfetti and other players, Kevin Ball is going to be on team. He was on the World mm -hmm. Junior Gold Medal team uh, the, the, uh, in Czech Republic. So th this is clearly a team that's younger that, you know, is, is giving Hockey Canada an opportunity to evaluate players under high-level competition. Uh, and, and it's a going-forward, look-forward moment for the, for, the, for the group. Outside of the goalies, Darcy Kemper and Aiden Hill, I think it's a real opportunity for, for Hockey Canada to evaluate players at, at, at the beginning of a four-year Olympic quad leading into 2026. This isn't about 2022. 
<laughs> this is about, you know, the opportunity. It's, it's, I, I think a lot of countries are going to have some younger players on their rosters just because of what's unfolded over the course of the year. The lack of NHL players available because they're playing, right? Like you saw, the other countries are not going to have the benefit of being able to draw on NHL players uh, when the World Championships begin. So it, it gives the players a, a, a taste of what higher competition looks like and what it feels like. And I think it's an unbelievable opportunity for the young players that are going over there uh, to produce. Liam Foodie, who was on the World Ju mm -hmm. uh, World Junior Gold Medal team, Columbus, he's going to go over there and play. So it just it just continues to build out. I talk about Hockey Canada at the beginning, having a real full and complete book on the players. They never close the book. It's never complete. It's just added and it's adjusted. And this is another example of that with respect to uh, giving these players the opportunity. And I think Cole's a smart player. I think that he'll go over and acquit himself very well. And uh, it'll be fun to watch Owen Power. I think everybody will have a lot of fun. Because uh, I really believe that Owen Power will be on the team. I, uh, how much he'll play, I don't know. Mort Sider played for Germany. Mm -hmm. I talked about Jack Hughes and I talked about Austin Matthews. I think Austin Power can absolutely play on this team and not only acquit himself uh, well, I think it can help Canada compete for a gold medal. Okay, so uh, a lot of people think Owen Power uh, will go number one this year. Last week, you said if Shane Wright was in this draft, he would go number one. Do you think Shane Wright could be on this team, or is he too young? Well, he, he's not on the team. <laughs> he, 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 you know, I, I think that there is a progression for players in terms of maturity and everything, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that Shane Wright is an exceptional player. Do I think they could have put him on? Hockey Canada knows Shane Wright so, so well. I mean, he's going to be a front and center player at the World Junior Tournament in, in Edmonton. He, he hasn't mm -hmm. played at that level yet. And so I think that, and, and you, the same thing can be said about Owen Power, but Owen Power is two birth years ahead of Shane Wright. He, mm -hmm. He's more physically mature. He's played against uh, college players where he's had the opportunity to understand the demands physically of playing against older and stronger players. And I, I, I think that while I believe that Shane Wright could go there and acquit himself very well, I, I, I think it's, it's just fine for him not to be part of it. I really perfect and, and make no mistake about it. D if Shane Wright was in this year's draft, we'd be talking about, okay, who goes to, because he, he would have no equal in this draft. Right. And we'll be talking about Shane Wright uh, for that next Olympics, you know, not, not 22, as you said, he'll be in those conversations down the road for those teams. Lots of Absolute. time for Shane oh, Wright. Right? He will be, <laughs> he will be <laughs> Connor Bedard very well. Could be very well. I mean, he'll be a little bit younger. He's only in the 2023 draft, but he'll be at the beginning there. All I know is this about Connor Bedard. He, he not only showed what a, what an outstanding talent he is. He also showed he is no shrinking violet. I'll tell you because five points in the quarterfinal hat trick in the, in the semifinal. And then the brilliance that he displayed with a goal, uh, electrifying goal. And then the, the, the ceiling assist on the empty netter to Shane Wright, mm -hmm. you know, j just brilliant, uh, that he is, uh, he, you know what? There's no stage too big for Connor Bedard. Excellent. Well, get outside, enjoy some of that free vitamin D that Alberta's giving away right now. And uh, thanks so much for joining me on this, Craig. We'll uh, keep tracking the draft next week. Have a good one. Thank you.
This is a serious message. Craig Button joins us on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Hotline. Become a scout and make money while providing prospects to the Ultimate Franchise Hockey League. What you talking about, mister? Pay that man his money. I'm your huckleberry. Check out the details at www.uffsports.com. It's serious. I like it a lot. I said we got to win it. UFFS, you own the game. All right, it won't be long before we're doing another Craig's Council episode. Uh, we'll do it at the end of this season, so probably uh, a couple of shows after the actual NHL draft. We'll wrap up the draft after uh, the week after, and then the final show is usually a Craig's Council, and it's story time and scouting tips. So if you want to ask him a question about how to scout a particular position or player, if you want to ask him about a past player or any kind of a scouting tip, he's got so many great stories, email trackingthedraft at gmail.com, and we'll add them to the list of uh, some of the uh, questions we've already received. And, and we have questions from two shows ago from when we've done this, and we just didn't have time to get everybody in there, but we will try to do that. Uh, when we wrap it up uh, season two later this summer. And that is now going to wrap things up. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe wherever you listen or watch. If you're watching on the Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network, it's simple. Just click click that uh, subscribe button and the bell. And every time we put out an episode, you will be notified. All right, to advertise on this show, it's trackingthedraft at gmail.com. And, of course, check out uh, Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network on our YouTube channel. It is pretty outstanding. There it is, a whole bunch of shows that we have going on of the sports variety that you can participate in. So many great shows, so many more adding to the programs as well. Uh, For uh, my shows of the podcast variety, check out podcastalley.ca. You can check out all of the fun stuff there. And, of course, if you want to register on the UFFF website, it's www.uffsports.com. This has been Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. My name is Dean Millard. The stars of tomorrow are discovered and discussed today. Have a great weekend in hockey. Ah!